Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. Hello, this is Adam Huss coming to you from Los Angeles, California. Thanks so much for listening. The sponsor for this and all episodes so far is Centralis Wine. Centralis is an ecological winery that I started to protect or benefit the environment and my community with every business or winemaking decision. I envision a wine world in which humans are the students and servants of the non-human world, regenerating and protecting the vitality of ecosystems and promoting the diversity of life through wines that uniquely and deliciously reflect local abundance. Centralis wines feature foraged prickly pears, urban perennial polyculture wine garden produced grapes, gleanings from urban fruit trees, grapes from dry farmed century old vines, and organic and biodynamic viticulture. If this sounds interesting to you, join our email list and learn more at centraliswine.com. That's C E N T R A L A S wine.com. My guest for this episode is Tim Graham of Left Bank Cider in Catskill, New York. On the bank of the Hudson River, Tim's Cider Project is a joint effort with his wife Anna Rosencrantz and partner Dave Snyder. The three of them are making local cider from local apples, both wild and cultivated, and serving them at their local bar, along with other local ciders, beers, wines, and liquors of New York. It was such a delight to get to know Tim and what he's doing. He's thoughtful and smart, ecologically minded in his approach to every aspect of what he does. And he's curious and deeply appreciative of the beauty of his world. He drops insights and illuminating perspectives throughout this interview. And we go deep on the magic of fungus and its importance to the growing and making of fermented beverages. Tim also takes us on a journey of discovering wild apples and makes an argument for why his local apples are some of the best apples in the world. And we learn from Tim how to incorporate a process of learning and expanding and growing so that we waste none of the delicious fruits of life. Enjoy. Hey, Tim. Hey. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks. Very excited. Well, to thank you for doing this, really. I, 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 like, as I was just saying, I have a lot of empathy for um, my interviewees and the... the uh, <laughs> the task that you have of talking about yourself is a lot more difficult than it seems from the outside. Yeah. Um, but I would love you to talk about yourself and I'm grateful that you're willing to. And, and I wondered if you want to jump in and talk about who you are and what you do, uh, where yeah. you are. Yeah, that's a good start. Um, my name is Tim Graham and I am part of Left Bank Ciders and we're uh, three people, really. My wife, Anna Rosencrantz and my partner Dave Snyder. Uh, we all work on it together. It's a really good group to. Can I just say, Rosencrantz and Snyder sound like apples somehow? Uh, I've never come across. <laughs> well, you know, there are something like ten thousand named varieties, so it's it's right. pretty possible that they're like deep, deep, deep in the old uh, archives somewhere. It could just be that I grew up in that neck of the woods and there were like Snyder orchards and Rosencrantz, you know, cideries or things like that, that really harken back to my childhood. That makes no sense. Idea. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. If there's, Sorry, not, if there's not an apple named after them yet, maybe we can that, right. happen. Uh, yeah. I, I'm excited to hear more about that. But yeah. So part of please go on. Is, right. Yeah. Part of what we do is we we are trying to come up with new uh, varieties for cider specifically and it's it like naming them is I don't know it's like a sport some people are really good at it and I am really terrible at it <laughs> we always <laughs> give them these kind of like well I didn't know they were coded locational names but stuff that when I look back on it it's like only I could understand it like we name this apple DEC pip and it sounds like December Pippin, but it's actually like DEC is a Department of Energy Conservation Land in New York State. So that means like <laughs> it's a, it's a uh, accessible, like open land. So, yeah, anyway, naming apples. I'll na we'll name some apples after them and then they'll get their due. <laughs> um, well, great. And where are you? We're in the village of Catskill. So we're... Um, and when I say in the village, I mean like we're really in the village. We're just off Main Street. 
And that's where we have our cellar and our tasting room and kind of do do everything from that that location. And your tasting room is more than just a tasting room, is that right? Or is it just a tasting room? Uh, well, you know, we think of it as the bar is what we call it. And it is a uh, New York State based bar. So what I mean by that is when you get a manufacturing license in New York State, if you're under the farm certification system, so that would be like farm winery, farm cidery, farm brewery, you also get with that uh, the privilege to serve other New York State farm beverages. So that means that we can serve uh, New York State beers, wines, spirits. So uh, we take advantage of that and have a full, a pretty full bar. And the only things nice. that we really don't make are margaritas and uh, rum drinks. So it's great to have, have all that stuff. Things that don't grow well in cold winter. Right. There's areas. not really a good bulk sugar source in New York State. Mm. Yeah. Right. I mean. Uh, other than like corn or beets or something like that, I imagine. Right. I think actually now that I think about it, what I mean to say is legally you can't call anything rum unless it's made with cane sugar so there's no new york state rum technically speaking got it but there's like yeah there's like rum by another name yes interesting (laughs) right has anybody tried i mean like so i have sugar cane growing here at crenshaw crew oh cool nice it seems like a weed like i can't imagine it not growing almost anywhere i mean maybe it's i have no idea but it's just seems to thrive on neglect now i mean you know obviously this is california so right we do have mild winters but yeah i I don't know i don't know about it i mean all i know about it is that it's like a tropical uh warm climate yeah yeah i guess so i guess other people would have tried it right (laughs) (laughs) maybe yeah i don't know maybe it's a value thing i mean i was just finishing that book that you were recommending um the half has never been told actually. And I'm just mm. a chapter on they're trying to like annex Cuba. So it's it's funny that you brought that up because I'm like reading all about um, sugar cane right now. And oh, wow. I'm glad they never brought it to New York because that's not good. Yeah. Well, the, the farming of it is horrible. I mean, yeah, the, I will just say from working with it, tiny amounts, I cannot imagine like what it would have been to have been an enslaved pers- person who had to work with it daily. Like the, the, leaves are like knife blades like they just slice into you they're yeah they're like serrated knives it's crazy uh, yeah. Um, yeah very dark anyway yeah yeah um so all right how did you end up where you are doing all this and like yeah what was what's where did you guys come from well um like deep deep dave and i kind of consider ourselves west coast transplants he's from seattle and i'm from colorado originally and we met in Chicago, um, and then we all kind of ended up uh, in New York City together again later. And like around that time, um, Anne and I were working on a lot of fermentation experiments, and we were working at the farmers market together. And you can tell that story of cider through that lens. Um, but Dave came to the city to farm for a restaurant that was doing like a kind of farm to table thing. So mm-hmm. we reconnected and I was helping him on the farm and uh, volunteering and growing oyster mushrooms for the restaurant. And that was about the same time I, I was like getting serious about the idea of the cidery. So um, we all kind of left the city together to Catskill to do this project when when the cellar space came up. Okay. Yeah. Nice. What What was, I mean, there, were you, okay. So first of all, oyster mushrooms. Yeah. Do you have a, do you have a fungal bent in your body there? Oh man, that is my <laughs> favorite. I mean, if it's a hobby, it's like an extreme hobby. <laughs> it's like my favorite um, pastime. I'll just read like mushroom um, identification books, like novels, just kind of page by page. <laughs> Like, yeah. Anna got me into the New York Mycological Society. And, uh, oh, fantastic. It really was the only thing I liked doing in the city. It, like, kept me in it for years. It's it's the only part of the city that I miss is actually the club because they were just what, such an amazing group of people and 
They do walks every single weekend. If you live anywhere within any amount of distance, New York City, you should definitely join because, and it has so much crossover with winemaking and cider and all that, you know, like, um, yeah, I mean, obviously. yeah, go on. I mean, please say, finish that thought. That's well, they start, they, you know, I mean, people think of mushrooms as like the i can't remember how they talk about it like the macro phage i think is you know the large fruit bodies but in the uh-huh. winter they started going out and like collecting sticks and now they're really into the um like rust funguses and all this stuff that you really can hardly even see without like a loop and some uh assistance for the eye and you know that obviously translates almost like directly into like rust funguses and mildews and all your vine and tree kind of fungal issues so um right that gave me like some kind of small background to just have some understanding of that which is really good yeah it's uh, it's amazing i mean it's I mean, yeast is a fungus, right? Is <laughs> so, I mean, like, yeah, we all, like, yeah, we were going to say that on a label. Yeast is a fungus. Let's just, <laughs> just say it. So, it's like, yeah, so you have to, like, I, I mean, there, there is this thing. I mean, it's a, another good reason to, I think, work with fruit that grows well without fungicide because right, right, yeah. you're, you know, like, you want a healthy population of, you know, fungus on the skins of the fruit so that you can have a, a beautiful, healthy and, you know, sort of unique fermentation of that, that fingerprint of that, that area of that fruit of that, you know, that culture, the local ecosystem. Right. My, um, but, my, it, but if your plant gets destroyed by, by having a pro fungal environment, then you're in trouble. Um, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. My like uh, kind of like deep secret long term dream is to um, and people are doing this, you know, is to come up with fungal sprays for trees that somehow can dominate like the uh, other funguses, you know, or maybe like coat mm. the leaves enough to not give them a foothold or something like that. You know, I mean, the things they I do with fungus are amazing, like uh there was a product that we were looking at recently. Uh, I think it was called Scottzyme KS and KS in there was stands for kitchen sink. And it was like, uh, <laughs> it was like, um, a pectin kind of thing for like, uh, it's not a fining thing. Cause it isn't like dropping out to the bottom, you know, but it's breaking pectin bonds and something. Mm, and it's, yeah. uh, it's just basically, uh, and I don't, I don't, know how to say this like correctly but uh aspergillus i think yeah aspergillus uh, niger, niger yeah. yeah the black mold so it's just a metabolite of black mold and it's like well that's the most common is <laughs> the most common Inter- thing there is you know it's like right right amazing that's black rot right that's a yeah. big bad thing in the vineyard in grapes at least um and just but there- a slight twist and it's amazing yeah you know, I mean, this is again. We're just going geeky on fungus here, which <laughs> we'll good, come back yes, to good. left bank. But, but I mean, they're using so the chitin of aspergillus as well, and um, chitin is like the the cell structure rather than whatever. You know, that's it's like it's the same thing that's in um, like shellfish or whatever. It's that sort of hard, right? Yes, you know, thing that you know isn't easily digestible and has its own unique properties. Um, They've actually created products now uh, to remove like um, VA from wine, no, as well way. as uh, as well as Britannomyces taint oh, from really? wine. Oh, I need, yeah, so need, it's, I, need there's, that. I need that. Yeah, there's a <laughs> there's a there's a uh, I think it's called Bactyless is one of them. And oh, sort of get, I've, I've actually heard of that, and I was asking somebody about it recently, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it sounds. I mean, it's just it's sort of like a fining agent in that sense. So I right. think you just add like this chitin product, and it and then rack it off it, and and it and it sucks out, you know, the VA taint. It sucks out the the Brett taint. Now I haven't worked with it. I can't recommend it, but I'm just right. fascinated that you know we're finding this thing that is one of the banes of existence to viticulture. You know, like a the black rot right. is now providing you know winemaking assistance as well because of you know this is just how crazy fungus are yeah and you know now that we're talking about that i wasn't like planning on this but it does make a very interesting uh question like what it you know if 
nat- now you're not natural now you're not doing natural wine you know you're adding something and right doing this and it's right. like well what if i made it myself <laughs> or right right, or right what if i had a cellar <laughs> full of mold or something like that you know and it's like that's like it's yeah amazing and interesting that you can take black mold and turn it into something completely different and i think that's really cool and i'm really interested in that and that science and yeah you know i don't want to we don't use any of that stuff and i'm not interested in like you know we're if you're not trying to like adulterate to make a flavor you know like you're not trying to hit a goal but you're trying to just get some assistance with something you know i think yeah i feel like protective work rather than you know ego work i guess you would say like protecting i think what what is there naturally is right. one way of looking at it to me yeah it just seems like that's really cool and i'm i'm into that um and it's a, a slippery slope with like uh trying to place your kind of product and brand into like natural wine because that's what you believe in and that's where your fruit is and you're getting all this amazing like not beyond organic stuff you know but then yeah it's an it's an interesting question that we think about a lot yeah well and i mean of course fungus is uh, the other thing i was thinking about what i thought you were going to say about um using fungus in the you know up in the trees and stuff like that um or, or a dominant fungus to outcompete, I guess, the other ones was just, you know, sort of like, for example, powdery mildew is our main thing here. And that you can just sort of like rip a leaf off that has powdery mildew and throw it into the ground and not feel like you're going to contaminate your vineyard by not removing that because right, right. it gets outcompeted in the soil by all the other bacteria and things in the soil. And so then I was like, well, what if we just brought that, you know, the the microbes of the rhizosphere up into the philosphere and 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 you know basically create compost teas that then get sprayed into the vineyard and you're bringing all that soil competition up into the leaves where the powdery doesn't have that competition normally unless you spray it on there and would that work with just compost teas right to be powdery or or other things too and 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 maybe if you're just doing it you know kitchen sink style like i do it where i'm just making compost tea from our compost and not doing it scientifically to to find these specific competitors it's you know it's maybe it's a crapshoot but maybe there's a way of looking at that you know scientifically and trying to extract from the soil the things that would that are just natural competition the natural biological competition for these fungus that you literally are just you know making teas from soil specific soil types or specific way in a specific way to to cultivate those competitors and then get them up into your trees and vines. Right. Know, or, you know, stuff you out there. Could, yeah, we could plate them and then, you know, right. Make, yeah. When I get more time, when I get more time. I'm <laughs> yeah. I've seen oyster mushroom mycelium, like dominate molds, all kinds of stuff. It's amazing. It's amazing. Mm. Incredible uh, resiliency. And I just fast growing, fast growing. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't, really want to have anything to do with living material you know so i don't know what kind of nice. threats it would pose to like a, a healthy living tree but you'd have to check oh good point yeah good point that's right it's a decomposer not a whatever right not a killer it's not a path um, i mean it can be path pathogenic but it's mostly just decompositional yes hmm. um all right so Clearly, you have an interest in fungus, right, and yeah. is that is that where? <laughs> but is that where this all started? Uh, no, the interest in fungus came kind of after. I mean, you know, it's obviously yeast is a fungus, so yeah, it's part of it. But it really the the mycological society. It's all kind of starts at the same time, but it's slightly after. So yeah, we were fermenting things, uh, messing around, and then the real. Uh, Cider breakthrough came when um, Ann and I were collecting compost uh, for the Grow NYC, one of the Grow NYC markets. And um, this big orchard right next to us would show up in the morning when we would get there really early and dump like a whole trash bin or two or whatever of, you know, what looked to us like perfectly good apples and we had been fermenting like over like surplus 
stuff that we had like we would have a csa and they would give us like a huge bag of habaneros or some crazy thing you know that you can't do anything with so you just like make hot sauce and whatever um and really trying to manage food waste uh we wanted to do something with the apples so we just started collecting them and doing everything we could and when it got overwhelming we decided that uh, we would give it a shot try to make cider and we would take home like two bushels Saturday and then using a food processor and like pillowcases and t-shirts <laughs> we would we would grind them up make them into like a sauce consistency squeeze them through the t-shirt strain it and then if we worked like really hard all day we would get like two two gallons two carboys <laughs> it was, right it was amazing yeah but we yeah. loved it and it was really fun and then soon the apartment is like just overflowing with carboys and we're fermenting everything and um and everything else just wasn't as fun as that so that became our focus and uh, we started looking for a way to like make that uh, real, you know, make it like our life. Mm, nice. And did now, were you trying, were, were, did you have a dream of homesteading at some point? Were you going to be a farmer? Well, Dave, yeah, and... Dave came up to farm. <laughs> so we're working at the farmer's market. We're friend, We're becoming friends with a lot of farmers. We're reading about permaculture and I think kind of doing all the normal uh, things that you do when you want to get out of the city, but you don't really know what to do, you know, searching. Yeah. So we did a lot, gotcha. you know, we were doing the farmer's market and then I did a uh, permaculture school for a couple of weeks in Vermont. It was like a camp. It was like permaculture camp. <laughs> gotcha. And, yeah. uh, and what we learned, you know, Anna thought that I was going to come back and was we were going to like, find the land and buy it and make the cabin or whatever you know and the exact opposite happened i was like okay we're not doing that we're not we're not doing that at all um and why was that well what did you learn like that scared you off yeah i mean i think retrospectively it was uh good and like true and honest of them to kind of teach us not like in a super direct way but basically like uh if you don't have a lot of money or you don't have a lot of resources in terms of free labor, then this is like an extremely difficult, uh, slow, laborious process that really like it, it needs, it needs a huge amount of energy inputs in the beginning. And that could be capital, you know, like money or right. uh, a massive amount of manual labor and the people who are really successful usually have both like a lot of capital and a lot of free labor. So if you're just out, if you're out there and you don't have land already and you're kind of trying to, it's not the seventies anymore. <laughs> land isn't cheap. You know, it's hard to just yeah. like go off into the woods and find a place. Um, maybe for people who have land and are trying to figure out what to do with it or the best way to use it, I'm sure it makes a lot of sense in certain contexts and I'm not um, blasting the whole thing. But for somebody who has no nothing, it's uh, it's a pretty tough start. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, yeah, it, so much of the economics of farming right now, like if you're trying to start is, is well, I mean, it might not work, you know? I mean, right. Just, yeah, yeah end of story there was just an article uh in the new york times about how farmers in the hudson valley are having a really hard time because they uh there were there's a lot of programs to try to connect people with landowners and uh, a lot of very wealthy people from the city especially due to the pandemic bought land and homes in the valley and they have this idea that they want to have farms and then the reality like they act like they're like can you kind of spread the sheep out like everywhere i don't like them in the one spot or like the grass is too high over here or like <laughs> they're thinking about farming like from a purely aesthetic position you know <laughs> yes and yeah. uh it just it's just really like obviously it's about land access but it's also about um trying to build the right relationship with people and it can be extreme extremely challenging yeah yeah it's well, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot there, but um, 
You didn't go that route. No. <laughs> is the oh. short story. No, we we kind of, so so after that experience and reading like every single book that there was on uh like the back to the land movement starting with the good life like the original and kind of hmm. all of these uh really interesting memoirs and books about all these people it just got darker and darker and darker and we were just like okay so we decided to stay put and save as much money as possible <laughs> and uh kind of just feeling like when the right opportunity came up we'd be ready you know so um yeah we just kept working and saving money and looking around and looking for stuff to do and going on mushroom hikes and farming with dave and all this stuff and then um my friend he purchased this building in the village of catskill and he he was he was making this move he was trying to get like all his friends to move to the area he was living in hudson at the time and he brought us up there and the the building was built in 1875 it was built in sections Ooh. but the front was built in 1875 and so it had this really, truly subterranean cellar that was like, if you can picture like a, a European cellar, you know, it was like totally underground, stone walls. And and even so, it was like dry and pretty clean overall. And amazingly, the floor, I mean, they did this obvi for obvious reasons, but the floor has a pitch to it. So it like pitches five degrees towards the exit. So that's like some water drainage. So all these kinds of amazing things. And when oh, we wow, visited yeah. the, the spot, it was 10 degrees outside. It was 10 degrees where the bar is now because that was like where the door is. And in the cellar, it was like 40 degrees perfect yeah <laughs> I was, and that was like the moment i was like this is it this is the spot you know this is like a perfect and it looked you know nobody else i i don't know why anyone else would ever want to rent a space like that but <laughs> oh that's a great <laughs> discovery that was it and i was like okay this is it and you know because of the wackiness of the space and the amount of work it was going to take he gave it he rented it to us for super cheap and we uh i started like commuting up there and working um and then going back to the city and then i finally moved we finally moved full time in uh i don't know when 2018 or maybe something like that mm -hmm. and then uh when dave wrapped up his farming job he moved up there also and we just like just went at it and, and nice. uh yeah did it that's fantastic so that's how you ended up there now i know i think one of the interesting things about your story from what i know of it is just the that you know you're it, it's been a process like you yeah know, yeah you didn't arrive at uh you know no i have no background uh <laughs> i did go to i did go to cornell uh apple school i guess i'm 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 down to go to school again and again and again <laughs> um so i did a week-long um like cider training program i can't remember what the technical name of it is now but uh it was really um interesting this was at cornell this was at cornell yeah a cider training program yeah i'm sorry huh. i really should know what it's called but um no, I mean that's probably enough for us to do some searching and find out. Yeah, they have um, it's very common they have these things and they it's it's like they have these levels. So you do the introductory course and then they have another one on lab work where you can just kind of learn all the like laboratory. It's like the more advanced one and then uh, I think Yeah, so like a, the in the wine chemistry. Right, the chemistry like, one. Yeah, yeah. We did some of that. Um but you know it wasn't the overall focus of it, but it was kind of just, that was part of it. But, um, gosh, I don't know if I, I mean, if I did learn anything, I don't know if I use it. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think that's, yeah, part of the reality. It was really um, like kind of how you think of Cornell is like do big things and get some big shit and put a lot of money and, uh, effort into it. And I don't know. Right. 
you know, it was like filter, you know, like that industrial scale kind of thing. Yeah, it was about how to make a very consistent product all of the time. That that's right. kind of the clearest way you could say it, which is you know important and that's good, but uh, that's not how that's not the direction that we ended up going in. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was going to say, is it important to you? No, to be consistent. It's totally not. It's totally, okay. Totally <laughs> I didn't think so. Yeah, I don't want to consistently suck or anything, but um. Right, <laughs> right. You want to be can. Only uh, consistent quality, yeah. good quality, but not necessarily consistency of, of flavor and right. Yeah, like we want to be else. consistently good, but not consistent. Not for consistency's sake, I guess. Right, right. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, I like, <laughs> like that. Um, well, so you, this, this is, in, opening this is sort of ramping up these, these dreams of, doing this right or this this idea this growing idea i guess it's not a dream like i said it's it sounds more like you've had a process of development um right each, yeah yeah you know like with each new thing that you learn sort of has informed what you're doing you've absorbed that and and you know taken that into what you're doing and and pivoted or just you know changed what you're doing or expanded what you were doing to include new knowledge which i think is really great a great quality to have um but it sounds like you have some some guiding principles behind that because um, you've mentioned you know, sort of a natural approach to cider making a couple right, times right, now. Right. Right. Yes. So what what are some of the I guess you know values or beliefs that inform how how you've navigated the process? Right. That's a good question. Well, one of the things that we've always worked really hard to stick to is to just eliminate waste, and that was foundational in the very beginning because you know the apples that we were getting were like waste apples they were gonna they were destined for the compost and and it's not as if that was the entire reason that we were doing what we were doing it was very fun and we loved doing it and so it was like a pleasurable activity but it was great to keep that stuff out of the um even though it's compost and it's not you know technically garbage but it's great to keep that stuff uh you know, in a, in a different value stream and to actually like add a lot more value to it really. Um, yeah. So, you know, part of the story with the seller is, is foundational in that, um, as you, you know, fermentation requires a very strict set of temperature parameters. And a lot of people use a lot of glycol systems or they're cooling their space Mm. or however you're managing that, you know, there's a lot of energy um, going into temperature control. So when we uh, stumbled upon the cellar and kind of realized, and the amazing thing is it gets, it's get, it just gets better. Like we are learning how to use it more effectively and like more efficiently when we have all these different temperature zones because we have like a hallway between the bar and the cellar that we can actually modify even more just by opening the windows so we can make it cooler or warmer and then we have the bar which is like at normal 60s temperature so we have all these zones where we can heat things up and cool things down and move things around and so the only part of our whole entire uh let's see it's like I don't know how big the whole space is, maybe 3000 square feet, like total is, mm-hmm. uh, the front, the bar, you know, we have to, we have to have that, have some temperature control. Um, but we also have a really large wood stove in there that we really actively use all season to like do the primary heat. And then we have uh, mini split systems, which are really good because, uh, they're really efficient. They all run on electricity and you can turn them on and off. So we just turn those on for service and then we can turn them off when we go home. And uh, at the time when we when we started, I was also doing some GCing for the whole building. So I was starting part of the process of like rehabilitating this huge building, which was also really cool and exciting because uh, we removed like all natural gas. The building is 100 percent electric. And that is like, we, we didn't really even know what a kind of incredible, difficult feat that was going to be. We just wanted to do it. And the owner <laughs> was really wonderful about that too. So that was really great to have him on our side and to really be promoting, trying to be on renewables and stuff. And, 
you know, even if you can't get the solar panels just for logistical reasons, it's like if you're on electric, that's a good step in the right direction to try to be prepared for the grid, like, you know, all these things. So right. the whole entire birth of the um, location was about just trying to be like minimize waste and, and to be low energy. And we talk about that a lot, like low energy and the really cool thing about cider and wine is that uh, unlike brewing, you know, brewing is like a high, high, high energy process. You know, you have to heat a large amount of liquid to boiling and all this stuff. You know, all we do is we press, we press things and you can actually press it with water like we're using water pressure. So the only electricity yeah. we're using in the process is the grinder and some pumps, you know, occasionally to transfer. But it's such a low energy uh, well, I mean, you, and you could do it even like just manual, couldn't you? With like an old, old school. You could press beat them and, with the wooden bats the of Spain. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> I was thinking more like an Italian press with like a basket press. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, I, yeah a friend of ours handle. actually has a hydraulic basket press that works really well. Actually, Yeah. Oh, okay. no, right. Well, I was thinking just one where you can, you know, you spin the, the handle around like you're using leverage and you know, basic physics to, to create the pressure and everything. Right. Um, There's, I mean, mean, thinking about it, like most presses are not electric, right? Yeah. They're hydraulic and it's just great. It's just all of, all of the category of the wines, you know, are just so like, they're just so mellow and like low energy. And that's the best. I mean, that's one of the most exciting parts of the process is just how, you know, gentle. It's a very gentle process. Yeah, I love that. Um, to limiting waste, is there are there other values or things um, that have been guiding North Stars? Well, uh, I mean, that's that just goes through everything. Like being local is really important to us. So where yeah. we are in the Hudson Valley are like a massive amount of orchards, right? So we have all these amazing apples, like. I mean, sometimes we get them from an orchard that's just 15 minutes across the river. And we work with a mead orchard a lot that's like 35 minutes away. So we're really able to uh, get most of our fruit uh, from less than an hour away. And that was kind of a goal that we had sort of set for ourselves, but weren't really sure if it was achievable. And we're just finding that it's actually very achievable, which is really exciting. Um, But then the other turning point that happened for us was in 2019 we were uh working on the tasting room we were all living in Catskill and we were going up to the mountains to swim and to try to relax you know between like insane work sessions of gutting this (laughs) I mean the 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 place was in extremely bad shape so we would go up to this lake that everybody goes to and on the way you know, as like June turns to July and August, you start like seeing apples. You know, we didn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't, I don't have a background in orcharding and apples. So I didn't like see, you know how you see mushrooms when you're like tuned into that, you just start seeing mushrooms everywhere. Yeah. People, people talk about like morale vision, um, like (laughs) you can't see them at first. And then all of a sudden you see your first one and then you see them everywhere. Right. Exactly. You're locked in. And now I see apple trees like by the bark and I can just, it's the shape. I just, it's like, so immediate. I'm just like, that's an apple tree. That's not, but like, then like we start seeing like apples, you know, on the side of the roads everywhere, like from the whole kind of drive up this like 35 minute drive from our spot to this lake. And I kind of almost feel like it's like almost a joke, but it's like one day maybe Dave and I are like going up there or something and we like look at each other with this look and we're like, should we do it? We're like, yeah, let's do it. And we just pivot the whole plan, the business plan, which was to buy juice from all these local orchards to like collecting apples, collecting wild apples, you know, knowing that like a few people do this obviously, but, um, so we, uh, it was 2019, so it was an on year. It was a really good year for apples in our region. And we started like looking around our count. We're in Greene County, and Greene County goes from uh, the banks of the Hudson River way up into the Catskill Mountains. 
So we have uh, a large part of uh, the Catskills in our county, and there's part of this region called the Catskill Park, which is, it's not all public land, but a lot of it is like public land. So we uh, decided to just try to collect wild apples as many as we could and to process those for cider. And then maybe we would like need to supplement it with some orchard fruits later, but to, to, to switch the dynamic of where most of our uh, fruit was coming from to the, to the wild apples. And so that year we, uh, you know, we didn't have any jobs except for working on this building and the space. So we were able to really, really dedicate like the whole entire harvest season. And we would just drive up to trees and shake them and collect the apples and bring them back. And then when we had enough, we would process them. And yeah, it was really amazing. And so that's kind of how that nice. side of yeah. the business started. Well, what, what is the, I mean, what was it about the wild apples that excited you? Um, well, first of all, just primarily they're like available. <laughs> yeah, that's always great. That's <laughs> really cool. I mean, the cool thing about apples and I think about like grapes a lot as I learn more about wine is that like there are just apples like everywhere. There's so many in certain areas. And I think that what we do is like very repeatable in like so many. I mean, there's so many apples in Vermont and Maine has a ton of apples and, you know, it, even like Wisconsin and Illinois have a lot of wild apples. So it's it's like a cool, repeatable thing and everybody can make a cool beverage that's unique to their uh, geography and their like region. And we could have all these cool regional regional ciders. Um, but also, if you've only ever eaten apples from the grocery store or something, it's it's insane what wild apples taste like. They taste, <laughs> you know, they don't taste like apples in that way. They're like screamingly bitter or like horribly sour or some of them taste like actually they taste like apples, but apples covered in like cinnamon and like cloves or something like they have this really thick, thick spice quality or wild. Uh, a lot of times there's kind of this like apple that I keep sort of encountering all over the place that I feel it just tastes like bananas. I don't know. It's just like, mm. oh, that's the that's the banana vibe, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. Just there is the winter banana, isn't there? there is like, the I mean, winter that's banana. the name of an apple, right? That is, <laughs> yeah, that is an apple. And uh, I think one of our spots has one winter banana tree. Yeah, so we can... Interesting. We can explore, explore that apple. Yeah. <laughs> um, the ver yeah the variety is insane i mean there's just like and just just like flavor like i'm with our what we're maybe because i'm new and i'm i'm just starting on this process i'm not i i don't have the skills or like the palate to be super in tune with like delicate balanced perfection you know so we're kind of interested in like big flavor, I would say. And okay. that is what you get when you're dealing with wild apples. You get like a huge range of like extremes. And it's just <laughs> really cool to like be able to try to figure out how to like blend these and make some kind of coherent beverage when you have like too sour to eat and then too bitter to eat. And you just like have to work that all work that all into something that like functions together and harmonizes. Right. It sounds, I mean, it sounds like a really beautiful way to, um, I don't know if capture is the right word, but to, to serve the bounty of that region that you live in. I mean, it sounds yeah, like just to, a really, to try to keep yeah. it, like keep it here and make it be, about a place and for the people and and like keep it within the kind of cycle you know is really important to us so sticking to the like mile radius or hour hour radius and those kinds of uh ideas yeah now what do you do with um your spent pumice oh uh <laughs> well that's a funny question because um the first year we had met um, some farmers from way back when we were doing the original market and they had some pigs. So we took it to the pig. So we would load up the truck and I have like a little Toyota uh -huh. and 
drive it like 45 minutes to these pigs. So it was just <laughs> totally crazy, inconvenient, like almost nonsense, you know. But since right. we're like in the village, we can't just dump it. So the first year we fed it to some pigs over here. The second year we did the same exact thing with some different pigs over there. And then finally last year we uh, have a, had a really good opportunity to do the processing across the river at like a more functional site. And uh -huh. then we could drive the pomace like straight to the chickens and the chickens would like do their thing on the scratch pile. Nice. Yeah. And you haven't, uh, so I, I thought the, the next step in that process was, and then we bought pigs. <laughs> I wish. Urban, <laughs> yeah, we could do urban pigs, right? If you do, right. everybody does urban everything. Why not urban pigs? <laughs> there may be a reason. Yeah. We don't have enough um, parking spaces as it is. So we <laughs> um, that's great. Well, so I know you, you've said a lot of good things about the apples there. I mean, you, you um, are pretty proud of those apples not just the you know not just the abundance of that of your sort of ecosystem but you you think that these apples are are pretty hot yeah and i mean right there's two why, things. why is that what, two, what do you think what, what what makes that so well it's interesting it's interesting because there's like a hot debate between I mean, really, like, what, five people or something? No, like a very small, <laughs> an incredibly small amount of people who have very strong opinions on, like, whether wild apples are the, are, are the best cider apples or if, like, true cider apples are the best cider apples. And mm. true cider apples, most of the time, <clears throat> are originally, like, coming from France and England, <clears throat> where they have a much mm. longer cider tradi tradition. And their whole uh, cider, the their cider profile is very different. They have these, <clears throat> excuse me, um, very tannic apples that produce a very different kind of beverage than like American apples ever could because they're just like wildly different, right? So, mm. um, so some people think that wild apples aren't the aren't the right apples for cider or maybe aren't the best apples for cider. And that could totally be true because I've worked with the cider apples also, and they legitimately are amazing. The things that they do and add, and it's been an eye-opening experience because, you know, I'm sure you have this experience in wine and the grapes. It's like, there is something about like Pinot Noir as a grape, and there is something about, um, you know, Cab Franc or whatever kind of variety, you know, it's like, there's a reason that they are in the position they are, right? Like they right. do amazing yeah. things. They deserve the, they deserve all the reverence and respect, yeah. but should they be growing like anywhere people can put something in the ground, right? Like, should we be kind of like pushing, pushing that to try to fit somewhere where maybe it doesn't want to fit? Well, and yeah, so- I I Great think question. There are like people who are finding new cider varieties and and doing an amazing job at like finding new apples here in their own regions that work and make good cider. And I think in you know it's really cool and exciting place to be in cider right now because so many people are doing that on, and it's not Cornell. It's like people like Redbird Cider and uh wildling cider in vermont and gnarly pippins and scrumpy you and all these people who have like this super small scale orchards and cideries who are like doing their own trials and you know i mean you know it takes forever to like make see if these things work out and it's just it's really cool to be starting to be a part of that and to be trying to find our own apples that will both produce good cider and work in our bioregions and like be resistant to diseases and kind of like thrive where we are and not have to be forced to grow at the gunpoint of chemicals, you know? <laughs> um, That's a good way to put it. I always put it as like a crutch. Yeah. Um, yeah well, the, at, at gunpoint is it even more evocative. They, are, like they are forced to grow at gunpoint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but the other thing about the apples is like they're totally unsprayed because they're wild and so right that you know to us that's also super important like when abe was 
Abe was born in 2020. That's uh, our son and my son. And we made like a ton of applesauce for him for <laughs> in in that harvest year. I think we did it in 2019 also. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, it's just like this is ama- like this is this is our ch- like we want to make food for our child. That's like wild food, you know, that's like unsprayed, yeah. healthy. I mean, you know, we were talking about like mushroom, like think of the fungal networks of those trees and all the things that are going on in the soil. And just, I mean, I don't know that I don't know, yeah. how to exp- you know, macronutrients and all this kind of stuff, you know, and like fully functioning ecosystems. So, yeah. you know, I think that like maybe even if these aren't the best apples, maybe even if we're not making the best cider in the world, like whatever that is then that's okay because I'm happy to work with what I think is like the best fruit in the world, which is like this fruit that's just growing on its own and like thriving. Yeah. 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 That's, that's really great. I mean, it's, and, and you are ingesting that energy and then using it to, to share with the community. Like that energy is spreading rather than diminishing Yes, um, which I, I think is also a really beautiful thing. I tend to ingest way too much of that energy because pretty <laughs> much like every <laughs> every day that we go out, I have a horrible stomach ache by like three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> just a lot of malic acid I in just there. Eat so many, and I know every time I know it's wrong, and they try to stop me, and they're like Tim. <laughs> But I just won't, you know, you have to sample and then, yeah. you you know, and yeah, it's funny though. They will give you a, just a horrible stomach ache, but you don't oh, yeah. have to eat 40 apples a day. So we'll, no, that's we the same with that. me when <laughs> picking grapes by the end of the day, I can't even taste wine because I've just bit into so many seeds and skins and, you know, ripe, you know, partially ripe or ripe grapes. Right. And you're just like, yeah, you can't taste any. Your palate is just shot. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, um, one of the coolest things about your podcast and like me listening to it is uh, there's just, it's so stressful. Being in the cellar can be so stressful. There's so much that's always like going wrong and you're having, it's just, it can be a lot like, you know, it can be really overwhelming. And then to hear people like Steve Mathiason say that he is like testing things just by the flavor alone and feeling like you're not insane that you don't know how to use 40 different like lab processing <laughs> tools you know and that you're like yes i can taste i have a i have a mouth i have a nose i can smell i can taste you know like i don't have to i don't have to send these things away and get reports mm. and like totally not understand all these crazy things that even when i try to understand i can't really understand and <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, when I hear that kind of thing and what you're saying about t- tasting the grapes, it's just like, yeah, following your instincts is okay. It's good. It's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely have found, I mean, I'll just only, pu- you know, push you on that in the sense that, um, I mean, I've found it to be helpful. I, I definitely follow my instincts, but I've I like them to be informed by science and have found myself surprised a couple times like i mean a real simple sample like well this is actually this is probably backing up what you're saying where we've we've even taken measurements of you know sugar content uh, of grapes and then we've sent it to a lab and it turned out you know the alcohol is way higher than what we would have measured yeah i i I, yeah i totally want to do labs i'm not saying i'm against that for sure (laughs) i i'm I'm also like we said earlier i'm very interested in that stuff too and that's really cool i just think like um, where we are right now is a small, small, small business. We just can't get that together enough, but that's definitely something that I want to work on in the future. But yeah, I mean, and yeah, isn't that wild how you think something is like that and then you get it back and it's totally different? Yeah. And I think like if, if I had just sort of been a little more thoughtful when tasting it, because I wasn't paying attention to that because I, you know, I thought I knew. Um, because I had a test, right? You know, right. A previous test, and did my calculations. It's like, okay, this is going to be a nice, moderate thing. And then if I tasted, I would, I probably would have been like, you know what? <laughs> I think 
I think I got that wrong at the beginning. Right. But yeah, I think it's like, you know, you, you, that can happen, especially with grapes, because you get raisins in clusters, uh, depending on where the grapes are from, you know, how they're grown, that kind of stuff. We're using some dry farmed Zinfandel. So you have, it's got a whole range of stuff. And then those, those raisins aren't going to express any juice, but they're full of sugar. So you oh, don't get, you, when you take wow. your measurements at the beginning, it's going to be much lower than what actually happens oh, during fermentation wow. as they they get you know, hydrated and then the sugars get eaten. Oh, so um, they're gonna, they're not, they're not showing up in the beginning, but then exactly, they are yeah, gifting, yeah, because they, right, right, okay, right, yeah. And I mean, you, you do stuff like that, like you, you know, you, you'll test when the grapes first come in, then you'll wait a day to let, you know, what, what, you know, you call it soaking up, you let the grapes soak up, right? Um, and then you're always, almost always going to get a higher sugar content reading the next day and which we did right um but nowhere near <laughs> what the reality was because right. you know if they're small enough raisins if they're dry enough raisins it takes more than a day really to, for them to to get hydrated and to make a difference yeah um, yeah apples will so, i think they will have more sugar if you sweat them because you're losing water you're losing moisture so it is concentrating right I don't know what the right. real variable range. I mean, it could, I'm sure it can be pretty extreme. Right. And that's, that's a common practice. Do you guys do that? Um, we, we, we do it. Uh, our kind of schedule is like based more on um, how the harvest is going, I guess I would say. So we kind of are, are we're not like nothing is optimal <laughs> the way we do it. So, we can't really hold apples for any length of time because we don't have the cold storage and stuff like that, you know? So we just process according to when we get to the right quantity, you know, which is like, we're trying to, we have all this weird math and we just want to just try to make processing days as productive as possible because it's an incredible amount of work. So we'll harvest, harvest, harvest until we get the right, uh, amount of apples and and it's also really locational so we're starting to move into trying to make things we don't just mix well first of all we never mix wild apples and orchard apples that's like never that's not happening and we try to keep them in their own like regions like sometimes that's even something by road like this road or that site or something like that you know so you go out and you collect, 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 and then sort where your apples are going to end up. And then once you have enough of a certain area, we process that. And they definitely end up sweating for sure because, you know, things just get moved around and time is crazy. And uh, Yeah, I'm very jealous of the flexibility uh, that you get with apples and pears and from picking to when you decide, you know, you can sort of, I mean, obviously... I mean, you can just sort of set your own schedule is the nice thing. Right. That's so funny Uh, because I was I was complaining to another cider guy about how I was thinking that the wine people were the lucky ones because you just like bang it out so hard. (laughs) I was like, this is crazy. These wine people are complaining and they're going out there and they just do like one super gnarly day. And then you have to. And he was he gave me a massive scolding. Yeah, totally. And he was As like, you deserve. No, you don't know anything. <laughs> they work so much. Harder. And I was like, we are doing this for months and it's so grueling and it feels like it's never going to end. And by the end, you're just dying. Um, yeah, he had a different opinion, which was un- interesting coming. You know, he's in Apple, so I guess he's probably right. <laughs> right. Good. Glad to hear that. Yeah. Because you guys have yeah, no, a time. You're like, this is the this is the day. This is it. And we can be like, it's raining. I'm not doing it today. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. I mean, rain is a whole thing with grapes, too, where it, that, that will instantly affect, you know, the, the quality of the wine, uh, right. you know, if it's going to rain. So you either have to, you know, you have to make a decision. Do we pick? immediately before or do we wait for a while and sort of roll the dice and hope we get some dry weather after to dry them back out right um well maybe you should pick a more robust fruit (laughs) (laughs) hey i like that idea that's that's Uh, my god i I definitely am leaning in that direction yeah i just was checking out some prickly pear yesterday yeah i was Um, gonna say that's 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 not gonna go south on you if you wait a couple days not at all (laughs) no 
um yeah i love that and yeah no it's it's fun i i uh i i you know i love that you have sort of talked about how you know if you were if you were trying to think about farming regeneratively like your wild apples sort of have everything that you'd want they're like no-till you know they're biodiverse like oh yeah know, it's so crazy you know, I mean, rich soils yeah. you know you have they actually are a grazing based form of pomaculture you know yeah. like deer grazing the understory and yeah. uh no sprays no intervention you know um <laughs> just really like I, I i i say all that as a joke but i think you know my vision for where i want wine and cider to go is like that idea of like rather than like what you said where we're we're clearing land to plant five varieties of grapes that actually aren't from that land right um to, to instead listen to the land and look at the land and say what what is doing well here before i even got here before i even imposed my ego on it and how can i help that do even better and make something from that you know like that's it's just a whole different vision for wine I yeah think. and yeah and i think you're that what you're doing with cider is that you know which is i think what i love about cider these days is there's you know you're not alone in doing that and i think it's a really beautiful way to approach any kind of thing that we're doing a fermented beverage um kind of creation cultural product it's so um, it's such an exciting time to be doing this stuff because i'm sure it's the same in wine there's so many people who are I hear you guys talking about hybrids a lot and people doing native yeah. grapes. And it's so cool that people are like expanding the idea of like taste and what is, what is good or what is the best into something that's like what works, what can function, what is like exciting and different and not just like trying to make the best, whatever they can make, you know, yeah. make something that, works and is is like in league with all that right and then <clears throat> the the best will come it just takes time and we need right. to get that started because i mean i was just thinking you know i was like you know and and look that means great maybe we're not going to be planting cabernet and pinot noir anymore here in north america i mean that would be my suggestion right but look we've we can still get beautiful examples of them from where they came from you know right uh, we just have to import them from europe but i was like you know my second thought was I, I mean, France is like in the middle of another like 40 degree Fahrenheit, like over 100 degrees. Oh, I saw that. I, I mean, saw not 40 degree Fahrenheit, oh. over 100 degree Fahrenheit day, you know, Man, yeah. heat spell. And I mean, we might, there might come a time where we're not getting, they're not even able to make the wine yeah. uh, where they are. And so I think the sooner we start, you know, start this decades long, hundred year, generations long process of finding what actually you know, finding thing, new things that do well here, like the better, because right. like, yeah, like uh, nothing's going to do well pretty soon. And we need those things uh, if we want to be drinking the same quality. If we act um, like there is a peak expression of some kind of wine or something, and that is an unchanging ideal, it's just a total denial of everything that's changing all around us, like faster than we can even mm, up with it, you know? So we have to change... Yeah our tastes and our palates and our acceptance of what the best thing is all the time. And that's yeah, embrace diversity and yeah. And, and change in ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I, 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 <laughs> I don't know if that's a good place to end, but did you have anything else that you uh, wanted to say about where you guys are headed and what's next for your cidery? Well, I think, um, something Do you have a name that, change coming <laughs> oh yeah that no i'm gonna hold back on that for now because okay um, all right i just right. yeah we haven't discussed internal internal memos have not been <laughs> <laughs> okay great anything all right yet. so there may be well but, where can yeah. people find out about you or right or that's what i was and... going for um yeah you know something that we're really proud of and that we try to do like i said is like we're really focused on trying to keep everything local and we have this really nice tasting room where we have all of our ciders and like stuff that we would never be able to release normally and that's available on draft we have like a really good um, draft cider selection along with nice. other new york state wines beers and spirits but uh you know we're we're kind of like thinking about doing a little bit of maybe mail order or something like that but like our heart is in our tasting room and it's really exciting to 
I, I always, I kind of had this thought like, oh, we have to reserve the best stuff and bottle it. And that way, like people who care the most, we can like get it to them or something. And now I've totally okay. changed that. I'm like, we're going to keg the best stuff and we're going to serve it to our customers who like live here and come here. And they're going to get to taste like a single Roxbury russet tree that we found that's like 120 years old. And that's going to be for them, just the people who like come here to hang out and drink cider. And that actually is making a lot more sense now than trying to hoard it and like get it out there or whatever. So I love that. It's definitely like my creation of the space and everything was always this idea to like have a very special place where people could come and taste the very best things. And they definitely present as their best selves in that medium. Like maybe there's something about the volume of kegs that like works in aging or something like that, you know, but definitely like coming to the space is, is how we would want to show ourselves. That's like our best foot forward, I'd say. So, nice. you know, it's, it's very close to New York city. So there's a huge audience. And then we just have our community who like we love and really supports us. And that's good enough. Do you have a website? Uh, yeah, leftbankciders.com. Most of our ciders with an S. Yes, ciders with an S. And Got it. most of most of our stuff is like on our Instagram. That's our that's our like quick you know that's our way to get information out quickly is Instagram. So, and that's at leftbankciders. Yes, yes, exactly. Got it. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Tim. Thank it's you. Really that was great. really fun. I hope. Um, it's not too crazy. I just think uh, our, I wanted to say our slogan is amateur cider making it a professional scale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. And we're okay with that. <laughs> Someday you'll probably have to change that. It's not trademarked yet, but I'm going to work on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, but you'll, you'll probably not be able to regard yourself as an amateur before too long. I, you know, it's really this, it's another thing that's so cool about this community and everybody and, and cider more than wine is that, you know, like people don't know what it's supposed to taste like. And that is kind of a huge advantage. And it's yeah. nice to be able to grow, to be, to be both like functional and, and out in the world and also to plant, like when i when I freak out about some flaws or something's going wrong or we have a lot of bread or whatever, you know, it's like, it's a process it takes years. It's a, I'm like dedicating myself to this. This is what I want to do. This is what we're going to do for the rest of our lives, you know? So it doesn't have to be perfect all the time and we will learn and we will get better. And the next vintage will be better <laughs> and better and better. So yeah. That is a, a great motto as well. <laughs> Um, thanks, Tim. Really great talking to you. Thanks. I really appreciate it. That was really fun. Thanks so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. And if you did, please do leave a review for the Organic Wine Podcast. It helps a lot, and we want to get the word out to as many people as we can, which your review will help do. Thanks so much. <laughs>